Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM. Let's create. Life is a gift, and you, don't, you want to wake up. And so you seek those situations where you feel awake. And hopefully it's, you know, you seek situations where you're not hurting anybody and you're not hurting yourself, and it's sustainable that being awake and finding those situations where you're awake. That was Willem Dafoe. I'm San Fragoso. This is Talk Easy. Welcome to the show. Willem Dafoe is one of those actors you see on screen and think, yeah, that guy was meant to do this. Performing just makes sense. Defoe's face has this unique texture to it, a malleability. It can be menacing, like in the Spider-Man series or a Grand Budapest Hotel. It can be noble, like in Platoon, or most recently, in Sean Baker's The Florida Project. Sometimes he literally will just play Jesus Christ in a Martin Scorsese movie. And that's always been what's so impressive about Defoe. He seems to have this boundless range in versatility, someone capable of any role at any time. He's also historically been pretty guarded in interviews. I spoke to him a couple years ago in Toronto for this great Abel Ferreira movie he was in called Pasolini. He struck me as honest and grounded then, but a little withholding. Not evasive or impolite, but you often feel like there's more to him than he's letting on. It's like the opposite of his work on stage or on screen, where he's willing to express everything. Anyway, 
For the next 40 minutes, we try to do something a little bit different on the show. I guess it'll be up to you to tell us how we did. Now, finally, here is Willem Dafoe. Willem. Yes. How are you feeling? Good. I, I'm a little jet lagged, but I was told that they they came in here. They said just he's so you, jet lagged. Just, Go easy on him. Just so you know, he is jet lagged. And I said, uh, <laughs> I think we're going to be fine. <laughs> did they really? They did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they came running in here. They're making excuses for me already. I don't think you need excuses. <laughs> I hope not. At this point in your career, yeah, past the point of excuses. Ah, uh, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> you buy that? <laughs> yeah. I, no excuses. I wanted to start with. A f- I'll take it. Okay. If it's, uh, you can blame me. Okay. You can also blame me. No, I won't do that. Th- that's part I of our. I don't know you well enough. <laughs> no, it's fine. You know what? It's, I'll blame you after. Yeah, after. After, after I know you. After the hour. Great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wanted to ask broadly off the top. Given where you are in your life, what do you make of your career at this point? I don't think about it too much. I know how I feel, but. I've got nothing to compare it to. No past life. I'm sure, but I'm 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 too busy with this one to consider that one. Mm. So you've never been someone who got wrapped up in what a career should and shouldn't uh, look like. No, I'm no, I do, and I have, I'm sure. But uh, right now, when you ask me that question, it doesn't. Um, you know, I I'm not being evasive. I it just doesn't resonate with me i mean where am i in my career i think of my age i think of um, movies i've done i i remember my life by the plays and the movies i've done <laughs> i've done at this point i mean it it you know it's a way to remember things but other than that i don't know like i say i really i have nothing to compare it to mm, so you so you remember your life through the work you've yeah. done so could we start a little bit in the beginning then. Oh, okay. We can try. <laughs> At 22, <laughs> yeah, you're in Heaven's Gate. Yeah. Uh, what is happening on that set? I mean, the thing is, it has been written about so much now. Yeah. And I don't know if you felt any of that in the moment, but it's been mythologized in some way. Well, let me just set the stage. Uh, just with Heaven's Gate, you know, I was, a th- I was, still am, but I was a theater actor working downtown with a small avant-garde theater. And I wasn't specifically seeking work, but if someone talked to me or if there was an opportunity, I'd check it out. But my identity was a theater actor. Mm -hmm. And someone said, they want ethnic actors for this movie. (laughs) And if you have an ethnic look and you can speak another language you know, go in. So I... You satisfied both of those requirements? I sort of did because I didn't really speak another language. Um, (laughs) Not well enough. So so basically I I got an audition and uh, I enlisted a, a Belgian friend who speaks Flemish to translate the text that they wanted me to do for the audition and I learned it phonetically. So I did it, 
in English and did it in Flemish. And uh, to make a long story short, I got hired for basically a non-scripted role. <laughs> but what Michael Cimino was doing is, of course, he had a script, but he also knew he was going to, you know, work from the script, but also invent some things. And he had the idea of this chorus of immigrants that, you know, you wanted to know because by the end, when they die in the climactic battle, you wanted to feel for them. You wanted to feel like it was one somebody you knew. So basically, there was all these characters that he wanted around all the time. And then once we got to Montana and we started shooting, he started inventing all these scenes. And it was very exciting. Mm. I mean, I was just a kid and I, you know, I was basically an extra and they, yeah, I was giving close-ups and I was having scenes and all this was going on. I think the first day we were like a week behind. He was adding <laughs> so much stuff. It has been called the most controversial motion picture of its time. It is the most talked about and written about film of the decade. Now, from the director of The Deer Hunter, United Artists presents Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate. The story of Jim Averill. He was born into the world of the rich and powerful, but his heart and dreams were with the people. And then, you know, much has been written about it and there are people that can talk about it better than I can, but basically he was just coming off the Academy Award and many of the actors as well. And there was a real high feeling that uh, it was a beautiful script. It was an exciting period Western. He was researching things. Everything looked beautiful. The costumes were beautiful. The sets were beautiful. It was very exciting. And we started to work away. But of course, it got very involved and started falling more behind. And I basically was contracted for, you know, a couple of weeks and then a little time off and then a couple of weeks. Well, when I got there, they ripped up my contract. I didn't have an agent. So they said, you know that daily rate that we had you on? Forget it. You're <laughs> on a weekly rate now. And we're going to keep you as long as you want, as we want. And they thought that would be great news to me. And it was, in a way. But also, I had just left the theater company promising I'd be back in two weeks. Mm -hmm. So I was the guy that was always saying, can you tell me what the schedule is? You know, <laughs> And... They wouldn't be able to tell me. So I think I was a little bit of a pain in the ass. Mm. And I never liked to be a pain in the ass. But So we went along, and then uh, after about three months, <laughs> I'm there. So you didn't day, go back to your theater company after two weeks? No, I begged them to forgive me because it seemed like a wonderful adventure and a wonderful opportunity. No, I, I did go back to the theater company the day that I got fired. Because I was on the set, we were doing a long lighting setup, and someone told me a joke, and I laughed. And for some reason, Chimino just wheeled around, looked at me, and said, Willem, step out. And that was it. But things were quite crazy on the set by then. I imagine. Yeah, so it was a, quite a start, actually. Were you mortified by... I was embarrassed, you know. I thought, geez, Louise, you know, I, I go and... This is exciting. You know, I'm around all these interesting 
people. Uh, it's a big movie. You know, it's it's got beautiful detail. A lot of thought goes into it. It was a great adventure. All this stuff was going on. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like I fucked up. Yeah. But I didn't really. It was kind of an unreasonable thing. It seemed like at that point he probably had 9,000 No, he had so much, so much pressure on him. I, listen, I saw him years later and I, I just happened to be the lamb for slaughter. Mm. But it's okay, you know, because... Um, you end up uncredited in that movie. Yeah. They doubled me after a while. But I meant you can... You, no, you're there. You can see me. I... <laughs> The big thing, uh, my big thing was I fight Jeff Bridges' cock. Did you like that? The cock fading? I probably feel different about it now, but yeah, it was challenging. It was physical. It was exotic. It was weird. But, you know, it's a strange thing, fighting cocks, I, killing sport. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't know what that's like. You say you made you made it sound like it was something that I had experience in. <laughs> I don't know, but you've seen movies or something. I've seen movies or something. Yeah, it's it's pretty brutal. You, you mentioned the being a pain in the ass, which you don't like being. You said you've I done, don't think anybody likes being a pain in the ass. I don't think people like being a pain in the ass, but I do think some people are. <laughs> Definitely, but so am I. <laughs> you've worked with so many directors in so much work. Is that um, something you're consciously thinking about? Like, ah, I don't want to be a pain here. And then you end up kind of being a pain? <laughs> no, no. You're, I will say that you're on to something maybe in the respect that, you know, I think the way to free yourself is to submit, you know? And... Uh, the projects uh, so much is uh, director driven for me, and I like attaching myself to someone that whose work I like or who excites me or who inspires me. And I like very much this idea of, you know, it's not about showing what you know or expressing what you know. It's about attaching yourself to someone who is trying to express something and you kind of take their point of view or you inhabit their vision. And it's more freeing to me because it's not about you. It's about something that's beyond you, something beyond your experience. Hmm. And then you learn something new if you really give over to finding out what that thing is that this person is searching for. And if they're people that are talented or interesting, then it's it's... It's thrilling You're because excited you learn to give something, yourself over. And, yeah, and you have an energy that that goes beyond what you could do for yourself. Mm. It's interesting because the common line is that to act is to indulge some part of ego or narcissism. Yeah, but that's bullshit. You think that's bullshit? A little bit. A little bit. Why so? Acting is doing. Acting is pretending. You know. Acting is transforming. Acting is learning. That doesn't necessarily have to do with ego. Ego, the way we use ego in this context, it's about shoring up who you are, shoring up your sense of self, verifying yourself. Acting is, is an escape from that. Acting is trying to find someone else's impulses, trying to find another circumstance, another point of view, another way of thinking. 
you're empathizing with someone that's not you. You're, you're making something that's not you. Why do you think you're so interested in getting away from yourself? Uh, I'm not interested in getting away from myself as much as I'm interested in getting away from the trappings of freezing who I am because we're all fluid creatures and we're all connected. And, you know, when you make things, when it's beautiful or it's truthful or something happens, it's usually about finding out what connects us all, you know, coming into line with nature. And my experience has been usually that requires you losing your sense of self. When was the first film you thought that acting especially made sense to you on screen? Certainly you had all your theater work starting with your group in Wisconsin. But was there a film that it made it click? Uh, not really. Not really. A platoon? Oh, you mean a film I was in that made something click? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. No, no. I mean, not specifically one, one film, no. Mm. What was happening in 1986 and well, Platoon was released. I was working on a theater piece, I believe, called LSD, Just the High Points. We were touring a lot with that piece. Um, I was living in New York, but I was uh, abroad a lot. Uh, I had a four-year-old son then. Um, yeah. It's a lot to be doing. Yeah, and that's only part of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's something you've done historically in interviews I've read of you, Tell is me. that you do give a portion of yourself, mm-hmm. but there is a larger portion, mm-hmm. I think something that's more truthful and soulful to you, mm-hmm. that you don't share. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Because sometimes I use things like this as an exercise to try to be more articulate. And also, sometimes it's connected to promoting a movie. Sometimes it's stimulating. But there's a part of me that really, you know, thinks I don't want people to know who I am or I don't want to get into that thing about worrying of people having the right version of me. Mm. I want to make work and have... have you know, I'm not talking about family. I'm talking about publicly... When you're doing public work, that's how they should know you, you know. So I, private things, you know, there's this terrible thing that if you do public work, then all of a sudden people sometimes uh, solicit your opinion or seduce you into thinking it's about you. Mm. And uh, I try to avoid that just because it's humiliating. Humiliating? Yeah, because it's not none of their business. I don't know. I don't, I don't, you know, I'll make something and I'll share that. But who I am, that's a part of privacy mm. that's important to maintain. And what happens to a, a lot of people that have, you know, particular performers, and I, I don't say I'm not part of this because I am some way, you get seduced into, you know, sharing too much. Mm. I think it's better to be a little private. And also I think it helps to, um, when people see you on the screen, the less they know about you, the better. Right, so they don't carry the baggage. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a simple thing, but I think it's true. Mm. I mean, 
you know, if, if you know someone's a rabid racist or something, it's going to color how you watch mm-hmm. them, uh, uh, watch their performance. So you're just saying you're a rabid racist? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to beat you up right now. <laughs> Are you sure you're a friend of Sean's? <laughs> Only in support. Something I am interested in, and um, this is back to you as a kid. You were one of seven children. Eight. One of eight children. Yeah. Facts are wrong online. Hey, you know what? We're clearing shit. If you read it on the internet, it's not true. There we go. One of eight. Um, You had five or six sisters? Five sisters, two brothers. Um, The sisters, as you said in the past, you believe uh, were responsible for raising you in part because your parents were surgeons and they worked together and the household was run by them for the most part when they weren't home. That's pretty close, yeah. Is that fair? That's I don't fair. want to mischaracterize. Oh, you're going to do it anyway. <laughs> the thing is, I, the, here's the wonderful truth of this format, and we can break the fourth wall for a second. Yeah, okay. Is that we're not cutting any of this. Yeah, I know. We I cut know. the ums and ahs. And, don't even do that. Okay, we'll keep the ums and ahs for you. <laughs> but I have no spin here. In fact, no. I have no motive outside of the fact that I like Sean and I like the movie and I like mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in mischaracterizing. No, I know. I'm teasing. I know. It's just... <clears throat> you've had years of that, though. Of? That's the thing you've been manipulated 10,000 times in interviews over years and years of working like this. And I know you have initial skepticism, apprehension. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. I mean, you know, the name drop here, Lou Reed said, you got to lie that's the only way, you know, in an interview, you just got to lie. It's more fun and you're more protected that way. I'm earnest enough or there's something in me enough that I may not tell you the truth, but I make that attempt. I feel like I'm safe with honesty. Mm. But at the same time, there have been enough times that I've tried to be honest and because maybe I'm inarticulate or... or you know, the setup's wrong or it gets edited a funny way, you know, you can really be misrepresented. And you heard what I just said, you know, I should keep my mouth shut. I I like people not to know about me. Imagine Mm. how I feel if I'm misrepresented on top of that. (laughs) That's even worse. That's even worse. But your sisters. Yeah, what about my sisters? (laughs) It's interesting because... uh... They shaped your perspective and worldview at such a young age, don't you think? Yeah, I think I grew up in a family where, yeah, the the women were strong. That's not to say that my brothers weren't, but um, I've always, uh, yeah, I've always been more interested in women than men. <laughs> and that sounds like a jokey, but I mean, I like the fact that, you know, I think, because of certain kind of inequality uh, as far as gender, in the time that I was growing up, uh, women were forbidden to do certain things, you know, certain kinds of jobs, and there's still restrictions. And I think what I saw in my sisters is they developed in ways that the boys could never develop (laughs) because the boys were too busy, you know, feeling like they were running the world and keeping the status quo while my sisters 
were shut out of that participation in some ways. And I saw that they could be fuller human beings. They could know themselves better because they weren't into this whole um, collective illusion mm. of, uh, you know, thinking they're running the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting way of describing it because you'd think they were uh, more emotionally developed and complex. I think that's a pretty, what would we say, prosaic thought. I mean, I think that's a common thought, but I think it's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. Because when you, um, yeah, they were, they were allowed to develop personally in, in, in a different way. Did it allow you to develop personally then? No, I just, I just saw that, and I, I recognized that sometimes it's, you know, all the striving and all the um, trying to top the next guy and the competition, all these things that we kind of hold sacred Mm. in our world that is very capitalistic and very materialistic, sometimes that damages us us as as people, our Mm. development as people. Mm. Hard to get away from that in America, at least. A lot of places, because, you know, in some ways as America (laughs) goes the world, I mean... The influence has been strong. Mm. Obviously, there's lots of rejection and more and more of, you know, certain uh, mythology mm. about, you know, the um, kind of American dream and all that. A lot of mythology. I mean, there's a reason I brought the sister stuff up, and I yep. have a theory, and you can tell me I'm an idiot if you think. I won't do that. You can do that, though. I'm polite. Well, you can be impolite here. I don't want to be impolite. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a, I don't want to do that. Okay. Uh, the sister thing, it makes sense that you were attracted to that in terms of the complexity and their personal development. I guess I'm wondering, do you think that it has contributed to how you approach the dynamic nature of characters and uh, embodying them in such a full and well-rounded way? Because throughout your career, you more than others, and I know... You don't want to talk about that. You don't like oh, all, you, all that be nonsense. Surprised. That's the stuff that's easier for me to talk about. Well, <laughs> there's a quality you have that works on screen. And in part, it feels like you encapture and you become that person so three-dimensionally that it mm. goes beyond superlatives or praise or Oscars or nice adjectives written about you in glossy magazines. It's not about that. Is that when I see you, I see someone that I recognize in some way. And I imagine in my head, this is my theory, that being raised by women who showed you the emotional complexity of people may have helped create those characters. Maybe. All I know is I grew up a really square, God-fearing, fearful kid in the Midwest, and with time, I started recognizing that it was the people that weren't, you know, were on the outside and weren't the, didn't have the keys to the kingdom. Those were the people that knew what was going on. <laughs> and I think that's why I'm attracted to characters that are sometimes ambiguous and uh, characters that are sometimes not recognizable or or uh, or are outsiders. Mm. That's that's romantic to me. That's rich for me. 
In part, because, because, you know, it has something to do with, you know, it's like pursuing the unseen more than the seen, uh, pursuing the the process, then the result, all that romance somewhere in making work. I'm I'm down with that, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what makes me feel alive, and that's what makes me feel like I'm speaking to the thing that's eternal, and the thing that's eternal is that whatever that thing is that connects us all and where we all meet. And that's when you get in that place. Everyone has it, has these moments where they disappear into the greater. And it can be through sex. It can be through uh, drugs. It can be through food. It can be through work. It can be through speed. It can be through, you know, all kinds of things. Sometimes many of those things at once. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> You're a hardy fella. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the pleasure. And that's, you know, I, I just, you know, uh, life is a gift and it, you, you want to wake up. And so you seek those situations where you feel awake. And hopefully it's, you know, you seek situations where you're not hurting anybody and you're not hurting yourself and it's sustainable that being awake and finding those situations where you're awake. Were you awake on Florida Project? Yeah, most of the time. <laughs> no, it was a good project. I really enjoyed it. He has a voice. Did you see Tangerine beforehand? I did, I did. I, you know, apart from consideration of doing the part and all that, but yes, I did see Tangerine. The conventional question you're going to get 10,000 times if you haven't already today. I'm just starting. Oh, great. Doing uh, press for this. So you got me fresh as a daisy. Wonderful. They're going to keep saying, so what was it like to work with the kids in the film? Right. But something bigger is that what was the energy like down in Florida working at this motel? It was good because uh, it was so rooted in a reality. We were shooting in a real place. We were mixing with the people of that place, uh, what we were making was about that place. We had so much detail and we had so much to work with. It's not a documentary, but we had a lot of real elements in it. Mm. And also it, it was something that was created, you know, uh, there were a lot of people that weren't normally actors. There were some non-actors and there were some younger actors, some kids. All that for me personally, May you know it forces you to come to the world. It mm. forces you to join them. Right. You know, that's because the irony. I'm supposed to be the old hand right. in this. No, truly, in, in this circumstance, I'm supposed to be the old hand, and I'm supposed to help things out. Well, I suppose I do in some ways, but my participation it was necessary for me to totally be on their terms. Mm-hmm. The real people that live there and, you know, dealing with their story or a version of their story and the people that were there, professional actors, not professional actors, who were, you know, working out this narrative that uh, Sean was kind of guiding. Mm. There was very strong script, but also Sean works very intuitively and uh, loosely. 
Uh, sometimes when he needed something, you know, we there was a lot of invention. Thanks for calling the Magic Castle, Tamper. Mm. Yeah, sure do. Thirty-eight dollars mm. a night. <laughs> okay, I warned you. One drip and you're out. Oh come on! Out now. It's gonna melt outside. It's melting inside too. But Bobby. Out. Thank you very much. You're not welcome. At 17 or 18, you, um, or maybe it was 20, you created the theater group, the Wooster group. Is that, I, I want to pronounce that. Uh, it was a little later. It was 22. 22. And, and technically, the Wooster group. It was another group before. Yep. You got that. You joined and then slowly took over, I think. I didn't, but. Uh, you and your partner at the time. Right, right. Right. Did you feel. Alive in those early stages? Is that what? Oh, yeah. And I felt alive in the later stages. It's just count, comes and goes. <laughs> By the way. No, Worcester Group was uh, a, great, a, a, a great part of my life. And uh, it really informed and shaped me as a performer. And how I think it, it, it was one of the most um, important things that, uh, you know, ha- has happened to me. Mm. Working with that company. It's funny because it reminds me uh, of two years ago, around this same time, in some other room, you and I spoke. Mm-hmm. It was for Pasolini. Okay. You okay. may not remember this. I'm sorry. I'm... It's, and you know what? It doesn't matter that you did. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. But I will say this. I have quoted something you've said to me mm-hmm. to dozens of people since that time. Okay. And I'd like to read it if, if you don't sure, mind. Sure, sure. I said, you're turning 60 soon, is what I said to you. Yeah. Great, great question on my part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you laughed and you said, yeah, but I'm like a 22-year-old. I'm pretty young at heart and you know everything still goes. It's good getting old because you see the cycles. You see the rise and fall of things much easier. Yeah, I think that's true. I still think that's true at, at the golden age of 62. <laughs> I've thought about that quote huh. so many times. Huh. I, I don't know why, yeah, but yeah. You, you caught me at a moment. It's, it's today, especially. I've liked, it's my birthday today. Ah, happy birthday. It means nothing. How old are you? 23. You're shitting me. No. Wow. Congratulations. This is a good period for you. 20s were good for you? Yeah. High point? Um, don't tell me it, it only gets worse from here. Cause no, no, it gets... Uh, Look, uh, in some ways it gets better, in some ways it gets worse. <laughs> How's that for an answer? It's Am no, I going to drive you crazy? It's no answer. It's no, no, no answer is the best answer sometimes, baby. I think that's your motto. <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't mean to be a wise guy. It's just... Um, You're in a leather jacket. Yeah, but <laughs> it's quite stylish. It's not like a motorcycle jacket. <laughs> no, I, I think you know that was just about seeing patterns. And appreciating patterns. And, patterns. Um, yeah. Because I think it's true. It's nice to sort of recognize things. And uh, and then when you're in, you know, it's like when things are falling apart, you know they'll get better. When things are going great, you know things will fall apart. Right. There's, you know, you start to, I think just by sheer kind of time, 
you know, you develop, whether you want to or not, a certain degree of equanimity, you know? And with that equanimity, I think it makes you calmer and clearer. And, and if you're calmer and clearer, then you can experience things more directly. And uh, As they have are. less, well, yeah, I, in theory, you know, you, you've, you're a little lighter. <laughs> you're a little lighter. You're a little more flexible. You can, you can take it, mm. you know, where, you know, when you're younger sometimes, it feels like everything will destroy you. <laughs> End of the world. Yeah, where now, I shouldn't tempt fate, but, you know, you feel like I'll deal with it, you know. Was there something in your 20s, a moment or a film or a project, that you remember especially challenging the thing you're talking about, your spirit in some way of like, I don't know if I can proceed from here? Huh. I can't think of one. It's a good question, but... You know, in my 20s, I was... You know, I was interested in having a rough life because I kind of equated that with a certain degree of poverty and a certain degree of alienation, you know, was romantic to me. And being a middle-class kid from the Midwest, once I left the Midwest, a whole new world opened up for me politically and aesthetically and philosophically. And I was quite unsophisticated, I would say. And I started being turned on by all these other things. And I saw how other people were living. And uh, I was interested in, you know, living me some life and living me some life in the context of 1970s New York City. You know, I was living in a bad neighborhood and, uh, you know, hanging out. Because you felt... You had to get rid of that Wisconsin square. Not, not I had to get rid of it. That's what that's what the world was, you know. Mm. It's like uh, recently I sh- well, twenty years ago I shot a film in China, and the thing that kept on hitting me is, oh my God, why didn't anybody tell me this is the world? This is where you should be. Not where you should be. This is the world. This this felt like uh, you know what was going on, mm. and I think. You have those moments, and, and, and this is common to a lot of people, but I loved it when I, I, I was, I think, listening to an a interview with Bob Dylan where he, he was talking about, yeah, there he was in Minnesota, and he hears this, you know, kind of music from another place, like on the radio from, like, down south or something, and he said, that, that's me, that's me, <laughs> you know? And I think... That search for, you know, finding out what's really going on is is a big thing when you're young. Mm. I think so. I mean, the art that I find that most moves is often the art that I'm like, okay, I get that, I identify with that, I'd like to be that, but I'm not that yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are the things that do that for you now or did in the past? Um, I get, I, I get turned on by... Uh, performing uh, and watching performers. I, I get turned on by visual art, um, performance. You know, they just uh, stimulate me. Mm. New York in the 70s and 80s, as someone who will never get to experience that just yeah. by nature of how life works, yeah. 
what is happening then? Just like give me, give me like paint a picture, because it's it's to me it seems like the most exciting, and I only know it through back then. Yeah, it's hard to say because you know I change, they change, a different period in my life. For me, it was very exciting, and and I don't want to get too nostalgic about it because New York's still exciting. Uh, in a different way. But when I was a kid, you know, for example, I was living in Soho and it was a no man's land. It's hard to believe, you know? It was hard to get a cab down there. And and there was such a, a cross-fertilization of different artists doing different disciplines that it was a very exciting time. So for me, that was a time where a, a kid from the Midwest could play artist. <laughs> it's more complicated now. Not as easy. It's different because it's more developed. I mean, everything feels more developed. A lot has to do with the information age, you know? Uh, I mean, when I say the information age, I don't know what the proper word is, but just just the fact that everybody's got a computer and everybody's got a smartphone. Mm. And um, the way we get information and the way we claim information and the way we our attitudes toward knowledge and experience is changed by these simple things, you know? We are such of different generations, yeah, you yeah. and I. Yeah, it's true. Are you scared by it, by the, by the change? No, I only get scared to the degree that, you know, that I worry about, and, you know, I don't want to sound like an old crank and I, want to, I don't want to hang on. Um, you can be an old crank here. No, I don't want to be an old crank. It's, it's no fun. Um, no, it doesn't scare me. The only thing I worry about is, you know, you said we talked when, uh, when we did some press for Pasolini. Pasolini, you know, he called so much. <laughs> he saw the future. You know, he was so prescient. Or, you know, also, I've been reading Tom, Thomas Merton lately. And these guys, they, they saw it coming. They saw a kind of atmosphere that it's very hard to have an original thought or think for yourself. We get our attitudes, we get our feelings handed to us, dictated to us because of how we get information and our sense of making our way in the world and, and uh, making a good life, you know? And that, that was much more fragmented before. A good life. You know, a good life, I mean a happy life. It's basically a search for happiness or meaning. Mm. I find it interesting that people are always asking, what do you want or what makes a good life? Does that get easier in time? I'm like asking you for advice now, but is that easier to define the older you get? One thing I know for sure is your energy gets different. I mean, the amount of energy you have. And um, I think you get a little wiser about how you want to spend the energy. And with who? And with who? And doing what? Mm. Has that made you less or more inclined to take on projects? Uh, it's funny, because you'd think, Mr. Smarty Pants, as I get older, I'm getting so goddamn wise, you'd think I would just say, fuck it, let, let, me, let me just take it easy. But I don't, really. I, I work more and more, and I, I think it's because I get, a, uh, I get a kick out of doing different kinds of things. And I still love to travel, and I love people. And, I mean, I love being with people. I'm weirdly kind of social. 
Uh, Why weirdly? And, ah, because I don't think if if you don't know me, uh, now this is funny. I would assume you wouldn't think that about me, but that's my that's me uh, projecting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, I I still uh, like getting with some people and uh, trying to make something mm. as a as a group. That's their theater roots coming in. Definitely, I'm a somewhere deeply, you know, I'm a theater baby, not in the traditional sense because I've always done sort of unconventional theater, but the fact of some people getting in a room and making stuff with music, dance, architecture, text, mm. whatever, you know, making things. What for? We don't really know. But in the doing, there's a real pleasure and celebration. Willem Dafoe, thank you so much for yeah, coming Yeah, okay. Up. Thanks. Willem collaborating and creating once more in Sean Baker's latest film, The Florida Project. It's out this Thursday, October 5th, and I don't say this lightly, it really is a masterful piece of filmmaking. I guarantee you're going to be hearing about it for the next few months. People are going to keep saying, oh my god, have you seen The Florida Project? So, if you can this weekend, I recommend seeking it out. Big thanks this week to Kate Lowell and the good people at A24 for helping arrange this special episode of the podcast. As always, our show is executive produced by David Chen, graphics by Ian Jones, illustrations by Krishna Shenoy, social media by Max Ship. Our associate producer is Valerie Ettenhofer, and the show is produced by Dylan Peck. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you so much for listening to Talk Easy. I'll see you next week. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there.
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.